Hey there. This December, we're featuring encore episodes of Spark Joy, 2020 fan favorites for you to revisit over the holiday season and prepare for the new year. Happy holidays to you and yours. Be safe, be well, and Spark Joy. You need a workspace. It needs to be unique to you. Don't share it with anybody else. It doesn't have to be big, but you need one space. When I sit down here at my in basket, I got my computer, I got my stuff where I do my work here. If you do not have that space allocated, it will suck energy out of everything else. Welcome to Spark Joy, the podcast dedicated to celebrating the Kamari method and the transformative power of surrounding yourself with joy and letting go of all the rest. With your hosts and certified Kamari consultants, Kristen Ivey and Karen Sochi. And now, here's the show. We first capture what has our attention, clarify exactly what it means to us, organize it into its appropriate category so we can reflect appropriately on the whole situation and engage in trusted action. This is a quote by David Allen, our guest today, and I bet it sounds a little familiar to our listeners. After decades of in-the-field research and practice of his productivity methods, David wrote the international bestseller, Getting Things Done. It is considered a masterpiece of modern productivity theory and a must-read for those seeking to improve their personal and workplace functioning. And yes, I'm a big, big fan. Today, the David Allen Company, run by David and his wife, Catherine, oversees the Certification Academy and Quality Standards for global partners offering Getting Things Done courses and coaching around the world. We are delighted to have you on the show, David. Delighted to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Thank you, David. We are honored to chat with you today. I've definitely been a fan of yours for some time. The book itself, Getting Things Done, and just the philosophy behind it is just so powerful and so applicable for so many things. And it's definitely something that's come up when I've transitioned to being a professional organizer. And I would love to know about how you were led to really focus on productivity. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey and background for those who don't know you as well as we do? I was more interested in self-development and personal development, finding out who I was, exploring all of that. But they weren't paying people to do that. So I had to you know, have some jobs to pay the rent. I had a lot of friends who seemed to know what they were doing, entrepreneurs, startup businesses, whatever. So I became a good number two guy, helped a lot of friends start their own businesses and run their own businesses, at least set them up. And then I discovered I pay people to do that. They call them consultants. So I created my own consulting practice back in 1981 and then was very hungry to find models that help people, no matter who I ran across and what they were dealing with, could I pull out something out of my back pocket that that could help people sort of get control, get focused, get more, you know, uh, time to focus on meaningful stuff. First of all, for myself, I was very interested in, in maintaining clear space through my own spiritual and meditative and martial arts practices. I discovered the value of clear space. And so I was interested in techniques that allowed me to stay clear while my life got more complex. You know, I was graduating professionally and it was getting a lot busier and et cetera. Then I found out that the techniques that I was uncovering for myself worked for my clients and helped them do the same sort of things, be more controlled, more focused. 
And so then somebody from the big corporate training world saw what I was doing and they said, wow, we need that in our whole company. Can you design a training around this instead of just one-on-one you're coaching or consulting with clients? And that was the start back in 1983-84 of what then ultimately after 25 years became you know, sort of the essence of the getting things done methodology. But that was a long road. There was no one overnight epiphany about all of this. I just like added pieces. And then, as I say, a long string of epiphanets that sort of allowed me to kind of package all this stuff together in a way that I could turn around and work with someone right off the blue and walk them through this model and have them automatically, without fail, produce more of a sense of control and focus and meaningful attention. So that's a very short version of a very long story. Well, we're glad you could share that with us because we see the end product. We've read the book and we have an understanding of, of the method. And, and for those listeners who may be listening to this and say, what are they talking about? What is this method? Could you give us like kind of the summary of what getting things done is all about? Sure. Well, first of all, your head's a very bad office. So stop using your head to try to remember, remind, prioritize, and manage relationships between things. A basic internal principle of this methodology is externalize, build an external brain. You need to get stuff out of your head. So there are actually five steps that we identified that you need to implement in order to get any kind of situation under control and focused. You need to capture stuff that has your attention. You need to clarify exactly what it means. Are you going to do something about it? And if so, what's the next action and what outcome are you committed to? You need to organize the results of that thinking. You know, here's a, here's a list of projects. Here's a list of phone calls I need to make. Here's a list of stuff I need to do at my computer, et cetera. So outcome and action thinking, you know, is the, this clarify step. So you capture stuff that has your attention. You clarify what you need to do. Then you need to organize the results of that. Where do I park? a reminder to call my sister about my birthday? Where do I park a reminder to talk to my life partner about uh, whether we should give you know our kids karate lessons or not? And then step four is make sure you're looking at all of these things. Once you've organized all those reminders, you need to then have a reflection process where you're looking back at your external brain to say, where do I need to be when? Well, I'm going out for errands, assuming we're post-pandemic now, <laughs> where you can go out for errands. If you were doing that, what are all the errands I need to run? Or if I'm sitting down with my life partner, what are all the things I've come up with about our sort of business of life stuff that we need to talk about? Where's that list? And so there's a reflection process on the contents of your commitments. And then step five is to engage. Okay, let me sit down with my wife, Catherine, and let's have a conversation about these two things I've parked on my list that she and I need to talk about. So there's a capture, clarify, organize, reflect, and engage five-step process. I didn't make that up, guys. I just recognized it. That's how you get your kitchen under control. That's how you get your life under control. That's how you get your closet under control. That's how you get you know, anything under control. By the way, those are no behaviors that you don't already know. So this is not a new technology or a new language you need to learn. These are basic practices that people already know how to do the practices. It's just very few people actually implement those practices in a consistent, complete way so that then they free up their brain to be focused on more intuitive, strategic things as opposed to being driven by latest and loudest. I really like this idea of putting into a cognitive, measurable thinking process as opposed to 
I really need to get organized or I'm so overwhelmed or I don't know where to start or, you know, just feeling as though things are completely unmanageable. And of course, Marie Kondo, but this will sound very familiar to our listeners who see her presenting action items in a step-by-step way. You know, there's organize, sort and edit, and then organize first and do it in a very methodical way. In fact, I would not be at all surprised if I learned that Marie Kondo was very influenced by your work. I would like to talk a little bit about you define kind of the, the method really succinctly, but let's say that someone, just to make an easy example, you get a wedding invitation in the mail. Could you walk through like what the process would look like with receiving that kind of a content when it comes to the five steps? Sure. Well, first of all, you need to ask, what is it? <laughs> right. So, you know, sometimes it's not clear what this thing is you got in the mail or you got in your email. So you need to, first of all, define, well, well what is this? Oh, oh, it's an invitation to a wedding. Okay, fine. Then the next decision you need to make, is it actionable? Is there something I actually need to do about this? Yes or no? If it's no, it could be trash. Oh, these are people I don't even know very well. They've sent this out to 6,000 people, you know, you know, ho-hum, throw sure. it away, recycle, you know, shred, whatever, get rid of it. It could be reference material called, you know, I'm not going to go to their wedding and they sent this to 6,000 people, but you know, they've got their contact information on this. I'm going to store this in my reference system. So in case I ever need to get in touch with them again, I've got their contact info. So then that's reference. So it's either no action, you know, meaning trash, don't need it. Now I've seen it, I don't, I don't need it. Could be reference. And it could be, you know, at some point I may need to make a decision about this. They may have invited me, but it's three months away, but I've got a lot of pending things. You know, I'm not going to RSVP on this for another month or so you know, or six weeks or whatever until some other things have the dust has settled and I can find out if I can actually go or not. So then you need to incubate it or put it on hold. Okay, let me review this in six weeks or two months and then reassess to RSVP and how I want to do that. So those are the no responses to this wedding invitation. And if you say, oh, yes, I do want to go to the wedding or I do want to do something about that, then you have the question say, okay, what's the next action you need to take on this? Do you need to talk to your life partner about whether you want to go? Do you need to just go, hmm, you know, let me just think about this and, you know, go to the, surf the web and, and send them a wedding present and not go, you know, RSVP or whatever. So then you need to decide what's the very next step you would need to take if this is an actionable item in order to move on it. Once you make that decision, then you have the decision to make, oh, can I do this in two minutes or not? If you could do it in two minutes, there's no need to keep track of it because it would take you less time to actually finish it than it would be to track it and review it. So, hey, just a little two-minute turnaround, let me do that. If you can't do that, then say, is somebody else need to do this? You know, does my life partner actually need to make a decision about this in terms of what they want to do? Great. So then you shoot off an email or a text or whatever to your partner and say, hey, dear, (laughs) want to go? You know, what should we do about this? Let me know. So then you delegated essentially what the next step is. And if you can't do that, it's called you're it. There's nobody else around. You need to make a decision about this. And it is something you want to do. And the action step you need to take is to actually research, you know, whether you can actually go to their wedding on your calendar, make this a whole thing, you know, great. So then you need to park some reminder about that called, you know, check my calendar, check my schedule, check whatever. And then you need to park some reminder of that in your own personal system. 
One other thing you need to do to clarify is, are you committed to finish something about this? Is there some final outcome that you're committed to about this? Oh, yeah. I need to make sure that I'm appropriately engaged with my friend's weddings. Fabulous. Now you've got a project. Stick that in some sort of a list somewhere, or you need to then define, okay, that's the project I need to keep track of until that's finished, no matter what the steps are as I decide to take between here and there. So as simple as that may sound, <laughs> that's the detail of how you actually clarify the stuff that winds up in your world. And most people avoid that process like the plague. Step three would then be, okay, where do I park reminders of all that? So, you know, if I shot off an, a, an email or a text or some note to my partner, whether they want to go or not, I'm, that's a waiting for. So I need to keep track of that. It's something I need to do to figure out, you know, my schedule, my calendar or whatever, or just research a present I might want to send virtually to these guys. Then that goes on my own list of stuff to do at my computer or whatever. So hopefully that wasn't overwhelming to people, but it shouldn't be overwhelming. That's what you have to do with anything <laughs> that shows up in your world. I just described what that process is and made it very rigorous so that you don't let the stuff just lie around and wind up in a huh stack. That's what a lot of people do. They get that wedding invitation, and then the, whether it's physical or email, and then they throw it into a stack called huh, <laughs> which means <laughs> I don't know what I want to do about it, but I probably need to do something about it. I don't want to deal with it right now. Get out of my face. <laughs> There's no light at the end of that tunnel. So a lot of what I discovered was the algorithm that you have to go through in order to be able to get these things appropriately engaged with yourself so they're not on your mind anymore. And by the way, if you don't handle that wedding thing, that's going to suck energy out of the more important things you might need to be focused on right now. If you wake up three o'clock in the morning, oh, damn, what am I going to do about their wedding when you can't do anything about it? So a lot of my stuff was about how do I handle all the manageable details of my life so that I clear up the internal space to focus on the meaningful stuff with clear present tense. The question, does it spark joy, is a simple one, but not so easy to execute alone. Extend your tidying experience by joining the Spark Joy Club, our online community filled with our clients, fellow listeners, and Kamari enthusiasts ready to support your journey. If you find yourself buried under clothing, stuck on storage, or pointing fingers at untidy housemates or family members, we want to help you finish your tidying journey once and for all. Support the show at the Joy Riser level and receive access to our exclusive virtual community, as well as the Tidy Home Joy Journal, your number one tidying companion. Visit sparkjoypodcast.com and click on Join the Club to get started. And now back to the show. Such a good example. I'm so glad you gave the detail of what to do, even with just one piece of paper or one item, because I think that's really what speaks to our listeners right now, because I know I've seen a lot of huh piles. Um, I'm sure Karen has as well, because what happens, you're probably not surprised by this, David, but when we're tidying up with our clients and they're kanmariing and when our listeners are working in their homes, what happens is they get pretty far with, you know, letting the things go and finding a place for most things. But what happens is a lot of unfinished business comes up. Oh, I've got to ship that package or I've got to, you know, mend that shirt or whatever it may be. Or I might want to give that to my niece because I think that oh, makes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
And so I love to have my clients actually make a mindful list of all the times they're saying these things out loud because they're actually kind of stacking up as extra work. And every extra thing on the list is going to take away from the enjoyment of actually finishing a Kanmari event. So I always talk about like, is this really, truly something that you need to make a thing, you know, whether it be a, a small task or a larger project? And you mentioned in your book that you, you quote, a world of no problems, only projects is what we should be moving towards. And I think that's super relevant now during this time and season of this pandemic going on in the world. Can you talk a little bit about specific tips that might help us change our mindsets to be a little bit more proactive and have a a different perspective as we solve problems which seem to hit us almost every day these days? Yeah. And I'm not going to pretend to anybody this is easy. So come on, guys. You know, you got to gird your loins about this (laughs) and say, okay, there's complaining and worrying versus appropriate engagement in the driver's seat of your life. You know, complaining and worrying are very unproductive events. They're understandable because they're sort of automatic kind of emotional responses that people have when they get surprised or get changed about stuff that then, especially that have potential negative consequences that they're afraid of. So understood, you know, a lot of that may be going on, but at the same time you go, well, wait a minute. Okay, what's true right now? And then how do I engage with what's true right now? If you try to avoid what's true, you know, good luck. You know, what you resist, you're stuck with. Then you wind up being spinning around stuff you can't control. I can't control the virus, right? So what are you going to do about it? Or what do you need to do? How do you strategize around what's going on right now? Well, let me see. What could I possibly do that I could take any action about that would move me toward a more positive outcome called optimize my relationship with whatever I'm experiencing in terms of the pandemic going on. And so sitting down and forcing yourself or directing yourself really to what's the outcome I want. I want to get onto cruise control with this thing that may be going on. Oh, come on, folks. That could be fires. It could be earthquakes. It could be death of the family. It could be all kinds of things. Everybody, by the time you're my age, I'll be 75 this year. By the time you're this age, you will have experienced many things you couldn't expect that you suddenly throw into a spin that you then need to figure out how do I then reconfigure my life around that and not to put any of that stuff down call. Wow. This is a joyful shoe that I want to keep. (laughs) This may not be joyful or it may not be fun at all, but it's about the distinction between being in the appropriately engaged with what your current reality is versus complaining or worrying about it. So, that's a lot of what my methodology is, is, okay, what, how do I need to sit down? What question do I need to ask myself? And then what do I need to do to be able to get this off my mind and get this thing onto cruise control? I think it's such a good point because I think really until things are put into the perspective of actionable items, it's really overwhelming. And of course, a lot of people now have found themselves at home, working from home, managing kids at home really just managing life from home. And along with that, a lot of folks have realized that the workspace management has left a lot to be desired. What do you suggest people think about as as far as setting up their home work environment or, you know, where they're functioning at home, how they're managing home life now, as opposed to, you know, previously home was just kind of the place where you 
slept and ate and maybe relaxed and entertained, but you weren't really managing your life from there. How would folks take a look at what they might do to set up, maximize productivity from home? Yeah, good question. And the first thing to do is where is your workspace? You need a workspace. It needs to be unique to you. Don't share it with anybody else. It doesn't have to be big, but you need one space. When I sit down here at my in basket, I got my computer, I got my stuff where I do my work here. If you do not have that space allocated, it will suck energy out of everything else. Now, I've, <laughs> I've worked from home since 1983 before you guys were born. So, you know, to me, I'm scratching my head call. Why do people worry about working from home? I'm like, this is a cool place to work from. You need to create a discrete space for doing day-to-day, manage my business, balance my checking account, handle my email. And you need one place to sit down and do that where that's what you do in that space. I recommend not time and structuring your day so much as creating space for your day. I need a space for creative thinking. I need a space for creative writing. I need a space for doing my just admin and the work at hand that I need to do. So building that space physically actually helps very much psychologically so that when you're in that space, you're able to kind of, you know, closet yourself away from the world. And if you even need to buy yellow police tape and drape it across your your room and say, (laughs) okay, guys, out of here, I'm at work right now. You know, I cannot go stir the stoop or I cannot go walk the dog right now. I am, I am in work state and you know, that's good to do. You know, my wife and I, we've worked together. We've been married for 30 years and we've worked together since then, you know, in, in the same work. But we email each other. She's got a whole separate workspace than I do. And, uh, you know, we manage the business of life as well as the business of our business through our systems so that when we sit down to dinner tonight, we don't have any of that stuff going on. You know, that's all built into the system. It's built into the spaces that we used. So what the pandemic has done is basically put on steroids the trend that the world was going into anyway. It's going virtual. It's going people independent managing their own lives with as independent contractors, as opposed to working in a corporation as an employee. And just look at the st- statistics. So you'll see, I, I read somewhere, I, I have the numbers wrong, I'm sure, but by 2050, I think they said 50% of the U.S. workforce will be self-employed, subcontracted. Wow. So hang on, guys. This is not, this is not something new you're dealing with. You just had it sped up. You're going to have to be a virtual person. You're going to need to be. The competitiveness of the companies you work within, if you do, is going to be based upon how successfully they can manage a virtual workforce. It's already happening. It really is about a change in mindset. I've had to come to terms with the fact that just because my partner is sitting 15 feet away from me doesn't mean that I can just interrupt him with any random thing I think I need to tell him at that moment. So it's really about saying, okay, if there's something that needs to be communicated here, how would I do it in the middle of a workday under the usual circumstance and follow that key along? So it is really a different mindset, but I, I agree that it it's really kind of a good thing in a way because it's making us much more resilient, I think, to change. Well, it's also in a strange way, people say, gee, ooh, David, that sounds so mechanical. I say, look, if you don't handle like, the mechanical things of life mechanically, they will start to mechanicalize your personal relationships. So at dinner, you're going, gee, dear, are you going to pick up the kids? Are you going to take them to soccer? Are you, are you handling that? It's like, oh, my God. Talk about a way to disrupt the warmth of a personal relationship 
is to not handle the business of life in a business-like way. So that's not a matter of whether, it's a matter of when you're going to come, come up to that plate. So true. And now that we're working primarily from home, well, there's a very thin boundary between kind of our, our personal to-dos and our business to-dos. I haven't made that distinction in 40 years. Why <laughs> yeah. should anybody else? It's just all stuff. To, it's just stuff to do. And some of it you get paid for. Some of it, you know, some of it's just trade off. Call, I'll clean the dishes if you make the dinner. You know, <laughs> what's the difference? Well, I know that now reading your book and understanding your philosophy, I apply it in such a different way as I see it intersecting with Kamari because just even the smallest things, if I see a sock on the floor in the living room or a wrapper on the counter, that idea that you mention in your philosophy that's all about if it takes less than two minutes to take care of, you should just do it in the moment. I mean, that alone is just priceless. Oh my God. If, if anybody listening <laughs> to this just walked around your apartment, your house, or wherever you live right now, yeah, and just said, what could I fix or finish or, or clean up or handle that would like take me less than two minutes. You're going to seriously improve your environment. Oh my God, let me replace that light bulb. Oh my God, I need to, I need to WD-40 that door because it's sweet. Oh, come on. <laughs> You'd be amazed how much cleaner and nicer your environment's going to be if you just took the two-minute rule, just walk around and apply that. So true. And something else that really has stuck with me is the whole idea of open loops that you describe and if you could explain that for our listeners, I mean, that's the foundation of, of what could begin to happen if you have a little too much unfinished business. Sure. Well, an open loop just simply means, look, there's something I'm committed to finish, clarify, resolve, or whatever that I haven't done yet. So it's spinning. I need cat food. I need to hire a vice president. I need to get a life. I need to figure out whether we should get divorced or not. Those are all open loops if they're spinning around in there. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that are not open loops, things that are on cruise control. My heating system works. <laughs> you know, my, my dog's on cruise control. I've got plenty of dog food. My yada yada. So, you know, there's a lot of important things in life that we don't have our attention on. But whatever starts to show up, you know, that you have attention on represents something that is, you're not appropriately engaged with yet. Wow, mom's birthday's coming. What am I going to do? Right. Open loop. Right. If you think you should do something about it, if you just go, you know, yeah, mom, she, she's got dementia. She wouldn't even remember if I did it or not. So then you let it go. <laughs> so that's not an open loop. If you close it right there or it might be, oh, wait a minute, we need to do something to sort of celebrate mom's birthday. Now you got an open loop. That means there's a project and it could be just research whether you want to do something about it or not. Or it could be, yeah, let's celebrate mom's birthday where you've decided, yes, let's do something that gets closure about it. But both of those, you know, those latter things would represent stuff that still spins until it's finished. You know, a lot of what I discovered over these years is you can have something like mom's birthday that's not finished yet, but it doesn't have to wake you up in the morning. As long as you've decided, what do I need to do about it next? Anything I need to keep track of that? Have I parked reminders of what I need or might want to do about that in appropriate places? Then it gets off your mind. And again, as I mentioned to begin with, your mind is a crappy office. It's a terrible place to try to remember, remind, prioritize, or manage relationships between more than four things. Cognitive science is now validated that. So your mind is not, that's not the place to hold all this stuff. So once you externalize it, 
make these decisions about it, park the results someplace you trust, then you're cool. Then you can be what a lot of people would might look like overwhelming. I got a lot more to do than I can possibly do, but there's nothing on your mind. Because the real key to, to getting things done methodology is not so much that you work harder or, or whatever. It's about how do I appropriately engage with all of these things so I'm present with whatever I'm doing. I'm present when I'm cooking spaghetti. I'm present when I watch my daughter play soccer. I'm present, you know, when I'm sitting down with my life partner and we're talking about, you know, deep stuff without having other stuff distracting you on your psyche. I just sort of figured out what that formula was. I really think of all of the things that you talk about, the thing that has impacted me the most is this idea of ambient anxiety. As soon as I read that term, I could identify absolutely with it. And what that really means is this idea that anxiety and stress is caused because we fall somehow short of meeting an expectation or an agreement that we've made with ourselves, whether overtly or subconsciously. Can you talk a little bit about what ambient anxiety is all about? Sure. I think you described it very well. You made some commitment with yourself. You forgot what it was, but you know it's there subliminally, and it keeps spinning. You wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, oh, damn, we need cat food. <laughs> and you can't buy cat food at 3 o'clock in the morning. So, you know, that, a simple example of the source of ambient anxiety, multiply, gee, I need cat food, and I don't have it, by about a 1,000, mm -hmm. and realize what most people are walking around in. You know, I used to think it was, well, when people are really overwhelmed, then they really will discover they really need to do this. Not true. When you're really, really, really overwhelmed, wherever you're, both of you are sitting right now, if suddenly wherever you are catches on fire, your building or your, your home or wherever you are, if that's suddenly on fire, believe me, you will feel overwhelmed, but you'll handle it. You'll sure. deal with it. So overwhelm tends to sort of produce a kind of focused activity that that's, is you know, probably useful and productive in the moment. It's that subtler, not quite in overwhelm, but have this anxiousness about, gee, I know I've got about 64 things I need to do, but I forgot what the hell they were, but they might be more part of the whatever I'm doing. Oh, damn. And then you just wind up letting yourself get sucked into addictive behaviors and easiest and you know latest and loudest. I just had a moment of ambient anxiety last night. <laughs> I was uh standing in front of a list of something I'd written on something that was on my wall and it said the number four and then it said capital T and then it looked like you are. So what happened was I actually got the thought out of my brain, but tip for our listeners, actually use <laughs> nice handwriting when you're writing these thoughts down. Yeah, or, no kidding. It went, what the heck is T? <laughs> T oh my God. I've done that many times, guys. So I have oh to admit gosh. too. Yeah. Yeah. I did figure it out. It was Four, and I think I was abbreviating the word for, and then TM, capital T, capital M, was what I was trying to write, which is short for Tidy Mastermind, something I'm a uh, part of right now. So, yeah, it was funny. I was like, gosh, where is my brain going these days? But I'm sure we're all experiencing a little bit of that in these unique circumstances these days. We're all spending a bit more time at home these days for the health and safety of ourselves, our family and our community. Are you feeling a little too close to your clutter for comfort? 
Maybe you're buried under stuff in the home office or craft space, or you're trying to carve out dedicated space for work or homeschool in your basement or on your dining room table. Or maybe you've noticed just how much time you're wasting looking for important papers and emails instead of shifting your time, energy, and resources towards the things that truly matter. During quarantine, my number one priority is to get as many people as possible clutter-free and prepared for the other side of this challenging season. If you're regularly asking yourself, where should I put this? Or am I letting go of enough? Or am I even doing this right? As you can Mari, a customized virtual tidying experience may be the perfect next step for you. While stay-at-home ordinances are activated, I'm continuing to offer virtual KonMari-based active tidying lessons, including a tidy desk special, perfect for those working or learning from home. Visit ForTheLoveOfTidy.com and click Free Consult to discuss the various virtual organizing options available to help you dig out and choose joy once and for all. Well, I loved everything that you shared today, David. And these are some great tips. And if you're not familiar with SparkJoy, we, we do at this point in time challenge you a bit and ask you to pick your favorite tip. Now, it can be a tidying related tip or it could be productivity related. Oh, yeah. Very simple. Your head's for having ideas, but not for holding them. Stop using your head as your office. I have to say that, that I often will hear your voice, David, saying, just do it right now. Just do it right now. What you know? It just if it's a two-minute task, just do it right now and get it done. To me, that is the voice that I hear when all those little <laughs> things are adding up, and it's just do it. Yay! I've had many executives tell me that was worth the the price of admission for all the coaching I ever did with them was the two-minute rule. If they hadn't installed it already, for sure. So we also ask our guests, "What is sparking the most joy for you at this very moment?" Kind of exploring the the technology and the ways to describe I'm, I'm creating a series of two minute tips for turbulent times and I'm sort of videoing that we're going to put out in social media in some form. So that's kind of fun. And walking my one year old Cavalier King Charles Spaniel with my wife around a beautiful park. We live five minutes from in, here in Amsterdam. So ah, those things give me a tremendous amount of joy. That sounds lovely. David, how can our listeners find you and learn more about your work? Well, www.gettingthingsdone.com is kind of an overview of our company. Most of our work is actually done by our partners around the world that we've licensed to do deliver our trainings and our coachings. So if you go there and look under training and coaching and click under that and whatever country you're in, click on that, you'll see our partners that we work with very closely to deliver sort of training and methodology around this. And also there, you know, there's several books out My getting things done. The artist trust free productivity. The new edition of that is available and support your local bookstores, folks. Come on. I love that. But you can find it anywhere. You can get good books. We've just published the getting things done workbook. So if you just wanted to get in sort of a find a fast way to sort of install yourself into this methodology, it's the sort of 10 master steps to go do this. So the Getting Things Done Workbooks, another book you can get from your bookstores or Amazon or any of those other places. We have Getting Things Done for Teens that we published last year about translating this information for 
younger kids and younger people. Uh, but a lot of adults actually love the book because <laughs> it got cartoons and it's a, it's a little <laughs> easier entry, you know, for that. So those are all ways to sort of engage yourself with what we're doing. Great. Well, we were just delighted to have you on the show today, David. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. Good luck to all of you. Thank you. Thanks, David. So now we want to hear from you. Tell us your burning tidying questions or share stories about how Kamari has impacted your life. Head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and review the show, which helps us reach others along their tidying journeys. To extend your tidying experience, you can join the Spark Joy Club. Visit sparkjoypodcast.com and click join the club to become a member of the Spark Joy community or join us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for tuning in and we hope your day sparks joy. Thank you for listening to Spark Joy with your host, Kristen Ivey of For the Love of Tidy in Chicago and Karen Sochi of The Serene Home in New York City. Spark Joy, the podcast, is not endorsed by or affiliated with Kamari Media Inc. The opinions expressed on this episode represent the views of the co-hosts and guests alone and do not represent the corporate position of Kamari Media Inc. or the Kamari Consultant Community.